0: It was a fun episode last week, Derek. We're really looking at doing the the live show probably sometime in January.
1: Yeah, it was a great episode. Hopefully, you know, those who listened, you know, if you haven't already reached out, reach out, comments, connect with us, because we really, really want to put that live show together and uh, have a little fun with it.
0: And if you want to potentially be on the live show or have a question a- answered or asked, or by the end of that show, it felt like we needed listener participation and we really want to get it. So check out nodrivinggloves.com to take care of that. What a way to begin the show a little bit different, but you're with Derek and John on No Driving Gloves.
1: So, you want to talk about... Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the Car Talk Authority, where experience, knowledge, and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek.
0: We launched the show talking about a past episode, and now we're going to actually do the show inspired by a past episode of It Happened Today. Are you still listening to those shorts, Derek?
1: If I said no, would you be mad at me? No, I I am, John, of course. I also, every once in a while, get to record one. I enjoy that. Yeah, no, I again, I think they're fun. I think they're great. I like listening to them briefly in the morning on the drive to work. Hopefully everybody else is.
0: I'm laying out the month of December right now, and once I have all... Planned out because it happened today is now only going to be a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday show so that you get the weekends off. It helps with the way Apple actually released podcasts and things like that to make sure you're getting all your episodes of No Driving Gloves every week. Well, on December 4th, we released an episode. It was narrated by me. We talked about, as I repeatedly said in the show, and I really realized when I was editing, cut a bunch of it out. The Clarion Auto PC, which I found was an interesting piece of technology in doing the dive into that. I found all these other car audio and some technology that relates to it. But this Auto PC just kind of fascinated me because it really was the device that got us to the horrid touchscreens, multiple interfaces, one screen does it all, that pretty much every car has now. You can't really go anywhere and find a car that just has a nice AM FM radio devoid of any other features. What's your feeling on this uh, infotainment system world that we've arrived?
1: We we hadn't talked about that fact that you can't go anywhere and find a car with just a simple radio head unit. So now my mind's trying to find, figure out if there is one out there today doesn't have a screen, but you're probably right. They probably all do. Maybe some European small manufacturer uh, has something simple without a screen. But
0: if you got a Tata Nano, it might have a basic radio. But I'll be honest, I started this search probably around 15 or 16 in reference to my grandparents. And they wanted a car, but they did not. They were terrified of the new dashboards. And at that time, there were still one or two things available. And right now, without looking at every single car on the market, the only things that you could really find were the Fiat 500, which is no longer sold in this country, and even the base Ford radio. And that's kind of what I thought they should look for is like a Ford Focus or something Mm -hmm. along that line. You can get the Sync One system, but it still involves a lot of interfacing with the computer, and I have it in my daily driver work car, and I absolutely hate the system because some things you can't physically push buttons on. I'm going to stand by my statement. There's really nothing out there. I already researched it. Sorry to have interrupted you.
1: No, no, that's all right, John. That's all right. So now I'm doing my search, and according to a website I found of an article published on October 23rd of this year, there are three popular cars without touchscreens. The Jeep Wrangler Sport, the Mitsubishi iEV, and the Honda Fit according to this article. Now, I have not looked at the interiors of those three cars, but it would be interesting to uh, double check that and see if that's true. But back to your, your actual question, John, which was how do I feel about where we have landed in the world of infotainment systems and giant screens on our dashboards? I'm not a huge tech guy. I'm not really into the, you know, Techiness. I, I guess I never have been. I mean, it's convenient. Uh, it's clearly where everyone else kind of, or at least the majority of people, seem to want to be. That kind of stuff doesn't really matter to me that much. I'm, um, I'm not, uh, you know, against or for it in any way. It's just kind of one of those things that I'm like, eh. In the new car, it's what I got to deal with. Obviously, when I drive the old cars that you know that's more my my speed so it's interesting and not to get too much into extremely old technology and in historic technology i find it interesting that there has been this type of technology and these type of ideas around really since the earliest days of the automobile because there were Uh, you know, scrolling maps that had readouts on them. You know, you'd have this big device that hooked up to your car early on. You'd insert a map and it would slowly, it would be timed with the speedometer, right? So it knew how many miles you were traveling. It was geared correctly and it would actually show you a map of where you were going and tell you where and when to turn on your way. And there were a number of those types of devices that you could use Back in even the the early 1900s, we've just kind of made it all computerized.
0: My problem with touchscreens, and when we mandated all cars have backup cameras, it seems all cars went ahead and started to add touchscreens. I was doing a little bit of research on what you said. Uh, The 2024 Honda Fit went through a redesign and now has a touchscreen. How dare they? (laughs) <laughs> the Mitsubishi iEV I'm really surprised that an electric car doesn't have a touchscreen of some sort and I was just clicking on and nope I just double checked the 24 Jeep Wrangler now has a Uconnect 5 12.3 inch touchscreen display standard so there now are no oh, more course. no vehicles with a uh, base non-touchscreen interfaces, except maybe that Mitsubishi. I get where you're coming from, that it's not that big a deal, but I miss my buttons. I'm finding manufacturers are coming back to some of them, their new touchscreens and that have a little bit of a haptic feel, or they have a combination of buttons and a uh, touchscreen, can't remember what car i just recently was listening about and they were talking that it has a tft display above a row of buttons and you can rotate through the tft display but it's not touchscreen there's actual physical buttons below so it changes the labels of the buttons but there you have physical buttons because you want that you know, firm feel, take less taking your eyes off the road because you have to look at a touchscreen to touch the buttons and mm-hmm. that. And while that deviates a little bit from this Clarion Auto PC, this is the thing that started it. It was touch screen. It was voice activated. You could, for $239 on top of its $1,300 purchase price, buy a cell phone interface for it. And then there were special adaptable cradles for it. If you wanted one for the Nokia 5100, 6100 series phones, another $160. And I had a Microtac 550. My holder would have cost $60 back in 1998. Then it had navigation software and you could get Clarions, Odyssey's, or Navtex, anywhere between 150 and $250. The auto connect module, the CUE receiver, all this stuff cost extra. Just to let you know, back in the day, 16 megabyte flash memory card for this unit, $60. I just bought a 128 gigabyte um, SD card for $1299 and a Clarion six sticks changer for $400. But it's just where that technology started thousand twenty five hundred bucks, you could have had a very antiquated version of what's standard and what we determined was every car today.
1: Well, and I find it interesting, John, in this period of time when when that unit was coming out and all the add-ons you could get, you know And like I said, I I never was the kid that was in you know I was I was into cars, but I was into the old cars and and stuff like that, and I never really got into the audio scene i think like you did you were you were much more into the you know upgrading your audio system bigger speakers but you know a lot of this was ways to personalize your automobile and you know have different technology in it obviously this clarion unit was uh, something much more for the adults than the kids right i mean this was them especially like business people of the time wanting to have connectivity with early phone technology, all of this. This is also kind of a a part of that modern vehicles, sound systems, and these interfaces, and and infotainment system, and all the technology that's going into it. It's going to become a lot more difficult to do those personal audio upgrades and things that were done at the time, you're going to have to be a computer engineer in some ways, software engineer to do some of these upgrades. When I think when we were younger and, and doing it, you obviously much more into it. I helped install some friends radios that they got. It was, it was a little easier, you know, wiring harnesses were a little easier to work with at that time, things like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's also that evolution of technology that is, I think, moving the car further and further away from something that we can kind of personalize and and modify as much as we have been able to in the past. Does that make sense to you, John?
0: It makes perfect sense. We touched on it a couple episodes ago when we t- kind of talked about. Safety and being conscious of safety when you modify your vehicles, because you're right back in the 80s and earlier, for sure. You could pop it, you know, you can put an in dash in and a car in an hour, hour and a half, swap the radio out, get a better radio in my era in high school. Everybody had the pioneer four by 10 or whatever things on their rear parcel shelf, which is probably illegal now just because of the flying projectiles and an accident. Pop a thing out, unplug it, have a wire harness, or just splice some wires together, pop everything back in, and you are done. With a modern radio, you might have individual wires going to it. Most likely you have some sort of wire harness, if not fiber optic cable going to it, that's covering, you know, one thing plugs in, and it covers all the functions. And now... It amazes me that aftermarket car stereos still exist because then you get by, now you have to buy an adapter to each vehicle and, you know, make it work. And as I said in the safety episode, Honda started this in the mid 90s that you couldn't even take the in dash out of the car, the factory one, because they started to route their power door locks and because they use the radio antenna. So the power door, remote keyless entry, um, power windows, all this stuff ran through the radio. If you took the radio out, you disabled all of those options. Believe it or not, power windows were an option at one point in time. That's when it really started to get complicated. And, you know, people still do it. People still upgrade. Uh, We're working off an article from Crutchfield. And, you know, back when I was a kid, Crutchfield was a hundred page catalog. You got once a month, once every six weeks, and it was just loaded with car stereo stuff. And, you call them up and they'd help you, and wonderful company. Now the catalog's really thin, internet, and lack of product. Back in my day, you go into a Best Buy and they'd have a wall of car stereo, an aisle after aisle of amplifier and things, and an install bay in every single store. And now my job takes me into a bunch of Best Buys per month, and I think only three stores have install bays out of like twenty-five or. 30 want, or best buys that I go into. There's just nothing. Walmart doesn't have a wall of car stereos like it used to. It's just, it's a really tough business to be in because it's so hard to get rid of the factory system. And now with touchscreens and that, they're so integrated into the dash, it's not a standard slip-in chassis. Very specific to the vehicle. Uh, we talked I had the radio replaced in my 15 Fiesta. You know, my driver car the radio had nothing to do. There are buttons on the dashboard, and there's a little screen at the top of the dashboard. The radio's down by the floorboard. It's just a big silver box, and you know they had to change that out. But it, you know, there's nothing behind the buttons and stuff like it used to be.
1: Yeah, and I, I you know, you talk about that. And again, I was never one to I don't think I ever changed I think in the Beretta, sorry, in in my Beretta. I put, you know, aftermarket head unit in it and some upgraded speakers in the the factory location parcel shelf. But I never really dove deep into that world, but I do remember the walls of stereos, you know, head units at Best Buy and and Walmart and places like that. And I think kids today are going to miss out on that experience of going in and turning on the head units that were plugged in and had speakers hooked up to them and blasting music just to be that young, stupid teenager that was doing something dumb in the store, you know?
0: Well, let's talk about some of these revolutionary things that entertainment systems might have had. And since you weren't into it, and I've always been into it, it'll be interesting to see if you remember or recall this, because the first thing uh, that they had on their list is the uh, Punt Berlin. This still shows up. This was just a standard, it was kind of a cassette deck that was went into the standard radio position, and then it had this stock that would amount to your center console and that, and it had buttons and stuff on it that controlled. It brought the controls closer to you and also had the analog radio dial with AM1, AM2 frequencies plus the FM frequencies. Uh, $850, which is about $3,800 today for one of these. And they're commonly, if you're into the Radwood stuff or the late uh, Malese era, they're commonly in your Mercedes and Porsches just because of the price and Blockbone being German. These showed up in a lot of these cars. Have you ever seen or experienced or played with one of those?
1: Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Never, never came across one of these.
0: Now you got to get out a little bit more because they actually, if you want to have the pimped out, Say 79 Mercedes or pimped out Porsche 930. you got to have one of these
1: in your car. This is just the way it was. Maybe that's the problem, John. I don't want either of those things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, how about the uh, Sanyo FT415 with the corded microphone so you can use it as a dictation machine while driving?
1: You know, interestingly, when, when you sent me this article and I was going through it, this head unit looks so familiar to me, but I don't remember a microphone attached to it. I can picture this in a car in my mind that I saw as a kid growing up, but I do not remember there being a microphone with it. And maybe it was just that whoever's car it was, maybe it was like stuck in the glove box or something, but this one brought back some kind of memory.
0: I'll bet it was a different model of uh, Sanyo. I think they all had a similar aesthetic. This one just happened to have the the microphone input.
1: That could be it. That could be it. This one I found interesting. I didn't know about it, right, from a, a historic standpoint. Yeah, this one was kind of a head scratcher. So you're you're dictating your message onto your uh, cassette tape, and then I, I just the whole process of this, and and it's because of the world we live in today, right? That everything's so simple. You have a phone, you record a message on real quick, and then you play it back later. But just the whole idea of oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta remember that. Let me, let me pop a, a blank cassette in. That's, you know, an actual recordable cassette and get my microphone out, record what I want to say, and then eject that cassette. Make sure I take it with me to the office or home, get my radio out at home that has a cassette player, put it in, rewind it, play it, write down what it just seems so in today's world antiquated and and cumbersome to to do all that i'll
0: say in 79 if i had a car and i was my 50 years old in 79 doing what i'm doing i could really see the benefit of having this you know driving to the office and doing your dictation when you get to the office you pop the cassette out you walk in you hand it to her secretary she'd have her cassette deck on the desk remember this stuff was just sitting there to be used pop it in and then she'd do the transcribing and all, all, it would all take be done at the end of the day as you're leaving she hands you that tape and you just re-record over it on your way home and your way back to work and the next day you hand her the tape and so on and so on it would be a very convenient thing It was a few years later that the micro-cassette decks and the mini-cassette decks kind of came out, and I had one of those, I remember, I carried with me to do notes, and I never had the secretary to transcribe it, so sometimes they weren't very effective. And even today, when I'm driving, I'm listening to my podcasts and stuff, and I don't want to interrupt, pause my phone or whatever to take a note. I carry a digital recorder and I will still do dictation into it. And that's the exact same thing you just said. It's a matter of remembering to carry it from the car into the house, plug it into the USB port on the computer, transfer the audio files to the computer, have software transcribe that audio file into text, and then I'll file it into the proper notes only to be forever forgotten. I think some of us are still using this piece of technology this was just the first use of it. And yes, I I found a new podcast app that I can't decide if I want to pay for, but it allows you to tap it and it'll like remember the last 60 seconds of audio so that you can take note when you're listening to a podcast and you want to take a note, hey, I need to listen to this later or this website or you can tap it and it's still the same thing. Then you got to remember to go to that file in your phone and look it up. It needs to instantly email that to me.
1: Oh, there you go. Send them a, send them a message. Tell them they need to add that to the features.
0: Where are we at here? Because I, I remember under dash units. I actually still have a Motorola under dash eight track deck. Um, and I guess here we do have the – this is a Pioneer, and I don't know if the Craig is. I've got a Craig and a Pioneer shown here. The Pi, Craig is definitely 8-track, uh, or the Pioneer is, and it looks like the Craig is too. I had this – like you said, I used to do these competition car stereos, and I had my Blockpoint Chicago or my Blockpoint New York head, head unit with CD and all of that. And then below the dash, I had this Motorola 8-track player. Installed just for the attention points.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, my my thought of under dash unit is like, you know, the old under dash record player that was, you know, in the like fifties and sixties. But that's, you know, and actually, the very the very first radio units were that were installed by factory were under dash units because that's the only place they had to put them. They they just kind of stuck them under the dash and hung them down. Back in the twenties, I can but. understand that in the early
0: cars, you know, it makes sense in the early cars. But by the fifties, wouldn't the under dash record player get in the way of the under dash Kleenex box holder?
1: Well, they were right next to each other. You had to make sure you had <laughs> enough room. I mean, the, the cars were like ten feet wide, so you had a lot of a lot of dash space. So,
0: <laughs> speaking of a uh, previous episode, you'd be able to put that thirty three LP on there. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, then they they played forty fives. Most of those played forty
1: fives, didn't they? I, I think yeah, if I remember, I think they were forty fives. Yeah. But yeah, the underdash units, I, I remember these in in some early, you know, my early days, uh, as a kid riding around, you know, parents, parents' friends, uh, things like that. And I, I you know, John, you were mentioning the, the pioneer here and the Craig. I think the Craig is not an eight track. And, and I don't know if you, I think this was one of the like compact units where the cassette went in.
0: I say it does say factory cassette tape deck.
1: Yeah. And I think it's one of the compact units where if you remember some of them, the cassette went in what I'll call, you know, sideways. And instead of going, you putting it in, let's call it in landscape form where it's wider. You there were some of these units that you would turn it and it would go in like portrait style. I don't I don't know what the right definitions for that. You know what I'm talking about though.
0: Sideways is correct, where the the exposed tape faces to the right or the left and doesn't yeah. face into the machine. Right. I know you say you're not big into car stereo. Most of them actually went in that way. Very few of them seem to take the cassette in that long format. The dictation machine did, but very few seem, I think, because it ended up becoming, it was the more compact way. You always had the depth, but you never, you know, you're only limited to so much width. And they wanted to start adding all these buttons because in 83, it makes sense to come from Sony. They introduced an N dash with a pop-out Walkman in it. So you push a button in the center of the end, the the radio would come out and it was basically a Walkman and they gave you a little leather pouch and headphones with it. Kind of a creative idea. Maybe that's where the, we'll probably get to it, the later theft protection units came from where you took the faceplate, or you just took the whole unit. This one, you just took the middle of the unit with you. Nobody's going to steal it if the the Walkman portion's missing.
1: Yeah, that's very true and it made me think of exactly what you were talking about when i when i saw this the head unit i put in my beretta had the removable face for you know anti theft the, the problem i found with that was eventually over time the contacts like to not uh, you know they they like to get worn out and not contact correctly and then i had all kinds of you know i just eventually just left the the face of the head unit on and never popped it off because Every time I'd pop it off and try to put it back on, it didn't want to seem to work right.
0: Yeah, uh, I never really took mine off. And I think at some point, maybe it was Alpine had one that would draw the faceplate in and then it would drop a blank faceplate over it all automatically when you turned the car off. So that it looked like you took the head or the the faceplate with you. I really thought thieves were stupid back then. Yeah,
1: right. You know, but that makes me think and and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead too far here, John, but I do remember again that wall of radios, head units at Best Buy. I remember distinctly the first time I saw and who knows if it was Sony or Alpine or one of the other numerous brands of, of these head units that were out. But do you remember the one that it had the, the face plate and you would push a button, it would rotate down and then actually a digital screen would come out and flip up out of the head unit and you would have a digital screen In front, you know, where the radio would be. I mean, so kind of, you know, like today's, you know, infotainment systems, there was actually a small, I don't know what it was, maybe a six by six or so, five by five digital screen that came out of the head unit. And then you would use that as the uh, controls.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, those still exist now where you get the small head unit and you push a button and this now six or eight inch or whatever screen comes out so you can watch your videos on it and control the unit. Then also blocking half your dashboard.
1: Well, yeah, who needs a dashboard? Come on.
0: Let's go ahead and jump
1: up to, and I'm sure this
0: was right up your alley, the bass shakers. are these kind of subwoofer things, but they really weren't speakers, but you'd mount them to the bottom of your seat. Connect them to your stereo, and they would shake your seat, so you'd feel feel the bass.
1: So, so is that is is that the way that's these are these are bass shakers? They're not bass shakers.
0: You could probably use them for bass shakers. What you do in that instance is you would clip them, you would attach the tail of the bass to them, wire or um, zip tie it to it, and then you play it, and you'd hold the bass so the scales were facing downward and it would shake the scales off the fish for you.
1: Oh, I, I was talking about just, you know, the play on words, John, Yeah, you know, put them under your seat and they become bass shakers.
0: Well, I mean, you're fishing, you put your cooler on the seat. All right. Well, that works. I think we'll skip over the mini disc craze because history sort of skipped over the mini disc craze. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, mini-discs. Weren't those fun?
0: Yeah, that was like a year and a half, 18 months of mini-discs.
1: I think I saw like two of those in my life. Like literally two mini-discs and that was it. And then it was like, well, that's over.
0: You might actually have me beat.
1: <laughs> now, the problem is though, is I don't remember when or where I saw those they may be in the collections at Henry Ford Museum and I saw them there and they weren't even in period they were just in a museum setting
0: (laughs) this one from Panasonic from I don't know what year this thing came out with the built in speaker you turn on the radio and this little 5 watt speaker popped out folded over gave you a center channel makes zero sense to me because a guy buying a cus you know, $600 head unit, and this is probably eighty six eighty seven is probably got a thousand watt car stereo. And what's a five watt center channel going to do for you?
1: Yeah. Now Just, what I thought about when I saw this, John was this would make good sense at the, time if this was one of those you know blue you know if it, if it had connectivity to your phone what that would have been great for was the microphone pickup it flips out it's kind of right in front of the or at least to the driver's side of the vehicle you could have talked at it and it would have been a perfect place for the microphone
0: that's exactly what it looks like too it's not very thick and um, as a microphone, that would be wonderful. Maybe uh, Panasonic should reintroduce this with Bluetooth capability and that being a microphone.
1: There you go. We're making people millions here.
0: We definitely are. And then so we slide up to the, fan- we talked about them, the Phantom face plates, the Alpine that popped out and flipped itself over. Uh, and this this is how new we're getting. This is a CD MP3 receiver. So now we're to the 2000 there. But uh, the Kenwood KDC 7007 and 9007 came with a little flat remote like you get with every LED lighting system you buy on Amazon for $18 now. Um, And that one is the one that motorized the flip. It's really funny, this whole article that they skip over the detachable faceplate.
1: yeah that's true they they do skip over it don't they
0: just they thought that was less important than the mini disc
1: yeah the one thing you jumped over because it's mini disc related but the one thing that i so i didn't i didn't obviously want to do the mini disc version of this but but they have the uh along in the mini disc conversation of this article, they have the compact six mini disc changer. That was one thing that as I was growing up and, and had the, you know, cars, my own, the Beretta, whatever I always, for some reason, don't ask me why, because it makes no sense. Oh, and I guess it's right here with the, uh, uh, Clarion auto PC one, but the, the six disc or 12 disc or 10 disc. Well, I can't remember all the different versions they had changer that would mount in your trunk and you'd be able to just preload it with a bunch of your you know, CDs and you'd have the remote to, you know, where you could call it up on your uh, head unit, which disc you want to play. And you didn't have to deal with it, you know, changing discs while you're driving down the road for some reason, that was one thing I always wanted as a kid. Of course, couldn't afford it, but I, I don't know why. I just, you know, the convenience of having your, you know, twelve disc changer in the trunk loaded, and you didn't have to worry about it.
0: Well, I had my first in dash CD player in about 1988. It could have been 87. I bought so many CDs at the time. I got the DJ discount at the local record store. I also got. the... Fire Lane parking privileges, except when the police were there. And I had three, four hundred CDs and I'd carry them with me. So the changer was appealing, but I guarantee you whatever six or 12 discs I had in the changer would not be the six or 12 discs I wanted to listen to at that point in time. And one company, it might have been Alpine, you could have put... I think you could stack up to 10 six disc changers so you could have had 60 cds loaded i never got that either i did eventually have an alpine six disc changer i guess it never appealed to me i mean even in home i bought the sony 300 disc cd changer you put three all 300 of your cds in it and You know that, but that was getting to the point of MP3, and then everything's on your computer and your home media system. And technology evolves so fast; by the time they hit the market, they're obsolete.
1: That—that's pretty much any modern technology.
0: You know, we think of that as today, but this is going back thirty or
1: forty years. Is
0: by yeah, modern technology, John. I'm thinking modern technology, 2005, 2010, because things change. So quickly now. Back then, you at least when you bought something, you had 12 or 16 months, 18 months to enjoy it before the new latest, greatest thing came out. Heck, do we even get 12 months between iPhones? I mean, they release the iPhone. 10 months later, they debut the next one, and two months later, it goes on sale. And it, I can't even keep track of Android and Galaxies because... At one point, I had a Note three at the same time the iPhone four was current, and now we're on like the Note twenty seven, but only on the iPhone fifteen. Fifteen, yeah. You know, I just so I, I just can't, I just can't keep track of how quickly things change. And I guess, of course, iPhone has the whatever, and then the X model year, and then the whatever and the X model year. But the eight, nine, and ten all came out in the same year. And there was no 9. Yes, I know that for some reason. The one thing on this list that I'm almost sure everyone has had, and I'd be really surprised if you did it, the cassette adapter that would go into your cassette deck and it came out with a little wire with an eighth-inch phono plug on it so that you could plug your MP3 player or your a disc man or portable CD player or or whatever into your head unit. And I still have one or two of these in my electronics box. Not that I have any cars with a cassette deck in in, in them anymore, but I don't know. They just seem to be so convenient to have to give you an auxiliary in, in that older automobile.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, Like you said, John, I probably in a box somewhere have one of these still laying around. I can tell you this, although I had it, I may have used it a handful of times. Like literally count on my hands how many times I've used one. Because again, not being a really techy, tech savvy guy, I never had the mp3 player or you know anything that they plugged into to feed into your tape deck that i would have to use with them so it wasn't that i didn't have one and it might have occasionally got used if somebody else had something to plug in but i never really had anything to plug into one of these (laughs) i'm just not I'm not a tech guy. It's like, it's, it's the whole loving, you know, brass era cars. It's just.
0: I'm going to say it ties. The reason I have iPhones and the reason, I guess the reason I finally conceded to buy an iPhone and ex-wife had the iPhone one. And actually used it up until about 2013 or 14. Then she had to travel overseas and needed something with international calling and would do more than just text and make phone calls because no app worked on her phone any longer. But I gave into that and probably – or that it was going to be – it's viable technology. I'm trying to think of what year it was, 08 or 9, about the same time the iPhone was introduced. When I looked at an Audi and when you open the glove box, there was a dock for your iPod. It had the 30-pin adapter in it, and you you could slip your iPod in it, and it would plug in. And I go, if manufacturers are building things specifically for one device, this has to be the technology that's going to stick around. And how it came about? Steve Jobs was still with us at the time. And I don't know if he's the one that went and said paid, hey, you're going to put this in your car. Uh, I don't know if Apple paid for it. I would think somewhere along the line, they paid the manufacturers to put this in their cars. But it made my decision that the iPhone was going to be a piece of technology that was probably here to stay. Now, then again, you know, the 58 Cadillac Baritz had a, a bar in it, and those seem to have went out of fashion. But That's what got me into, and then very shortly thereafter, all the other manufacturers started to adapt definite iPod docks. And now, of course, we're to wireless charging, and it doesn't matter. You just drop your phone on your charge pad. Hopefully, it's a charge pad that doesn't let your phone slide around too much, and then you have your wireless Apple CarPlay or your wireless Android Auto, and you don't have to think about it anymore. I love the way this article sums up uh, the efficiency of our governments, where in 1978, under current Virginia law, the possession of a police radar detector is illegal. Violations of this statute may result in its confiscation and fine. Therefore, we will not sell them to residents of Virginia until the law is repealed, hopefully by the end of the 1978 General Assembly. As they go on to say, uh, they did not repeal it in 78, 88, 98, 2008, 2018. They still haven't repealed it. And Virginia gets pretty serious about it. If they have radar detector detectors, and if they detect you're using a radar detector or have one, they will confiscate it and they will destroy it usually right there on the spot. So you've got to be careful with it. But this law has always bothered me a little bit because when you drive into Virginia, they have these signs that say speed tracked by aircraft. Have you driven through Virginia and seen those signs, Derek?
1: Uh, Virginia, there's other states that have those. Yeah, the speed tracked by aircraft. So, but yeah, I've, I've seen them in Virginia.
0: I'm speaking in Virginia in particular. Because I moved to Virginia in 2000 and those signs were there. And they obviously were there before I got to Virginia. They're still there now. It was about 2009, 2010 where Virginia actually made it legal to detect speed by aircraft. Prior to that, it was illegal for them to. Basically, use aircraft to monitor your speeds. Even though they had the signs up, it was an illegal activity for the police force to do.
1: But it wasn't illegal to have the sign up to make you think that they were. Exactly. Mm-hmm. See, that's that's the get around there. <laughs>
0: now, I know Illinois has actively used air airplanes for years. I think I only been, only was caught by one.
1: I've I've never been caught by an aircraft speed detection, but I've also never really seen them actively in use anywhere. You know, you you see the signs and you kind of look around. It's like eh, there's, there's no airplanes right now. So
0: I don't think they do it as much now because it's probably not very cost effective, especially with the advent of laser speed detection. Because you can hide so far away, you can pinpoint a vehicle and it's nailed where airplanes basically timed you. So they'd have to pick a vehicle and time it marker to marker. Mm-hmm. And then you have operating an airplane with a pilot and an officer. And then you have to have officers on the ground to stop the vehicle. So you're paying three people to stop one speeder where I think one person on the ground with uh, a laser detector can be much more efficient and much quicker. So I'm thinking that just might be technology that isn't used as much. I'm not saying it's used or isn't used, but I do think it has diminished
1: use. I would agree with that.
0: There were a few other things in this article that were kind of neat. It was maybe more of a go down history on my end rather than Derek's end.
1: No, that's okay. I mean, I enjoyed it and, you yeah, know, brought back some, some memories of, you know, at least uh, friend's cars or uh you know, goofing off in, in best buy when you're in high school and, you know, making the speakers go up really loud and all that good stuff.
0: Uh, and that so annoys me when I walk into a, Best Buy now, and somebody's got to be thumping the bass and that. When I'm driving down the road and you get a car that's, you know, thumping and you can hear it, and you can kind of feel it. I still enjoy that. It just doesn't happen as often as it used to. Like I say, you could hear me when I was in the country, you could hear me two miles away from my girlfriend's house at the time. And my dad could hear me when I was in the city. When I was probably three quarters of a mile from the house, when I was turning off one road to get onto the main road to come down to get into our subdivision, he could hear me that far away. And hence, they used to say you can't get hearing damage from recorded music. Mm. That must have been an internet thing that was going around in 88 or 89 because you can't get he- hearing damage from
1: recorded yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how's
0: your hearing, John? Well, what?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And with that, eh, thanks for the trip down memory lane. Hope you listeners enjoyed. We've got another controversial topic coming up next episode. Maybe not as controversial as last week's, but we're going to get back to no driving gloves next week and really dive into something that has been irritating Derek and I lately. You have any closing statements or words or?
1: Oh, wow. Hmm. 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 I don't really think so, John. Um, Don't listen to your stereo systems too loud or you will wind up hard of hearing. Just a PSA from No Driving Gloves.
0: To heck with that, Derek. Your mirrors ain't shaking. You've been taken. John is. Out.
1: This show was a part of the no Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John Vignani of Magic City Podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit.